Everybody, how are we this morning? Today I have the privilege of continuing our series on counterculture and we'll be looking at change. So far Barry has spoken to us about what it means to look at uh, the area of suffering and leading or leadership and how we deal with that different being Christians and being in the church. You know, in this room we would have seen more change in our lifetime than the previous generations before us. In fact, in some senses, we have seen more change in total than all of the generations put together would have seen. And change has had a real big impact on us. I mean, let's look at a couple of things. The telephone. Not so long ago, the telephone was just that small little box that used to sit in the corner of the, of the hallway that used to ring and used to answer it, and that was all it ever did. In fact, I can remember as a child getting our first telephone the phone number was 645470. And uh, so I used to remember that, and that's what we used to answer the phone was. It, we used to have to say, hello, my name is Glyn, and give the phone number. So a very polite way of talking on the phone. Instead of, g'day, it's me. You know, the sort of stuff you hear on the phone these days. But the phone has changed. It has now changed to something that we all have to have on us all the time. You know, we're sitting there now, some of us are looking at our Facebook page because we don't want to listen to Glyn. Others are writing notes and others are doing other bits and pieces. But on our phone, we can send messages to one another. We can uh, do video calls. I speak to my son over in France just by looking at him over the phone. I was talking to mum about international phone calls just Friday night and she was telling me that at one stage we used to have to book to make a phone call to bring overseas. Now we can just pick up the phone and ring overseas. The phone has changed a lot what we can do and can't do. The, tele the television, all of us in this room would have, especially the older ones of us, can remember when television was invented. And the first black and white televisions that we used to have in our room, that big box that used to sit in our room. In fact, my dad had the first remote control of a television. In fact, it was one that he spoke to and the... And what he used to say was, Glenn, change the channel. <laughs> Glenn, turn up the TV. Glenn, fix the aerials. They're not working right. But we've all seen how television has changed over the past 40 or 50 years to now where it's a thin colour television. I can actually remember colour television being shown at the Royal Show. It used to be one of the uh, displays there that you could go and look at the colour TV. So change has occurred. We look at change in communication, the way that has changed. We look at change in the way that we travel around the world. It's much easier these days to go to any place. You know, when change comes upon us, there's three different reactions we can have to change. We can embrace it. It can be a good thing. It can be a good thing when change comes. We enjoy it. It changes our lifestyle. In fact, I would like to try and change somebody's life today. I have with me two tickets to the SNFL Grand Final this afternoon. Who would like them and go? I'm being serious, they're here for you. Two tickets. Who would like to go? Come on, somebody would like to go to the Grand Final this afternoon to see Glenelg defeat Port Adelaide? <laughs> Do you want them? Andrew, you take them. There we are. 
you'll notice that my name's on them, but they're transferable. There's no problems with that. Okay? The other type of change is we can be ambivalent to change. We don't care what happens. Some of you just then would have thought, well, that doesn't worry me. I don't follow football. I don't care. I've got other plans. But the third type of change is when we resist it. It hurts us. We don't like it. We fight against it. It's a change that comes upon us and it's not good. And that's the type of change how we're going to look at today, how we as Christians, with the power of Jesus, can be looking at change and doing it in a different way in the way that we react. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a look to see what the scripture has to say. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that we can spend this time today worshipping you. Father, we thank you that you are in control of our lives, that you want to lead us and guide us. Father, as we look at this area of change and when it impacts on us, Father, we just ask that you will help us to understand the way that we can um, treat change, the way we can react to change, because you're there and because we can depend on you and because we can trust in you. So, Father, we just hand this time over to you now, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning's Bible reading comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. So let's have a look at that, shall we? So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot with him. You know, the first time we read about Abram and Lot was in the previous chapter, in chapter 12. Abram was a man... And if you want to read all the details, I'd encourage you to go to chapter 12 and read the whole story. But just some of the highlights. Abram was just a man doing about, going about his own business. And God said to him, Abram, I want you to move. I want you to take your family with you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you the father of generations of a, mas- a massive nation. Nobody is going to be able to count the number of your descendants. So Abram did. He got up took his family, took his nephew Lot, and away they went. They went to Canaan, and there was a bit of a... uh, They settled there for a while. There was a bit of a drought. They went back down to Egypt, where there was more water and and food for their livestock. And from there, due to a few different events, apparently Abram's wife, Sarai, was a beautiful woman, a woman that other men, you know, felt that she was a good-looking sort. So uh, he, trying to protect himself said that uh, she was his sister because he thought other men would try and knock him off so they could get her. Now that didn't work out too well for the Egyptians for the way they looked upon her and uh, their land and their flocks become diseased and they found out that Sarai was actually Abram's wife so they sent them away and then we'll continue the story. So in that time Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from a place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Pezzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you or between your herds and mine, for we are close relatives. It is it not for the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. 
And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, as well as, and was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, and while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Marim of Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So, why change? Why does change happen to us? And I'd like to say that in this chapter we see a couple of reasons why change occurs for us. And the first one is about the land could not sustain them. We read in, read in verse 6, but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So there was a period there that Abram and Lot got so big that the current land that they were living on could not help keep up with the needs of the flocks and the herds and these sort of things. So change had to occur. So that happens to us today. We see that in various ways the land cannot sustain us. And in that I mean you look at employment, you look at employers. How many times do we hear and see companies closing down, restructuring, downsizing or moving off, off site to overseas because what's happening here in our local community cannot sustain the company. Employees lose their jobs. We no longer have a job. So change occurs because the land can't sustain us. I was listening to the radio the other day and one, this particular guy was talking about the closure of, of um, Holden's two years ago, when it's coming up to two years. And he was saying, even though a lot of people have got a job since, he still hasn't got a job and hasn't had anything for two years. He, the change in his life has just been incredible. And he's got a whole range of different um, qualifications, but he still cannot find a job. We also see that change occurs because in the area of our social activities. You look at around uh, the country, around in the, in the country areas, how many social clubs and football clubs and sporting clubs have closed down because the local community cannot support them anymore because there's not the people there. The, people cannot be, the clubs cannot be sustained because there's not the growth or anything that's happening. We also see it in the church. We see that churches change because it, the area that they're living in cannot sustain the church. So churches close down. How often have we gone, driven past churches that have closed their doors? But then also the reverse happens as well. The churches, some churches grow and what's happening within them, it cannot be sustained by what's happening. So things have to change within the church. 
For example, sometimes there needs to be a building alterations so the church gets bigger in what it's doing. Or the church decides we cannot build any bigger here, we have to move and build on another location. I was involved with one church that moved from one location and built a bigger premises. And the leadership at the time did a wonderful job in, in encouraging and in, in telling the people, this is what's going to happen, this is how we're going to move. And there was some resistance. Some people didn't want to move from the building that they, they were in. Yet, when it was time to move, a couple of the people said, no, this is our church. And they actually stayed in the church. Fortunately for them the church building. Fortunately for them, another church of another denomination took over that church's building and they joined that church. Things, you know, in, within church, things happen. Then also, when the, if the church grows, the roles and the way we do church has to change. The way we do things change. The role of the pastor changes. And I've seen that as well, where one church I was involved in was growing really well. It was every week there was new people coming along to the church. And, it was, and as a leadership, we we're talking about how do we cope? How do we manage? What systems do we need to put into place to help this church to grow? And what we realised is one of the things was the role of the pastor had to change. This particular pastor was a pastor who cared for his people deeply. And he used to go and visit everybody. He used to have afternoon tea with them, go and spend time with them. He was a hands-on pastor. But as a leadership, we realised that if we were to have this church to grow, we needed a person who could lead the church and the pastor be more of a managerial-type role. And we were talking to him about this and what that would mean. This man, a great man of God, looked at us and said, I love this church. I cannot be the man you need me to be. And so he left the church so that the church then could put somebody in place who could help that church to grow. So change occurs. And some people found it very hard when that change happened. The next thing that we realise in that chapter is that harmony was lost. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. Abram identified that change was required to build harmony. There was fighting going on between the two groups of people. There was fighting going on between the herders. And Abram was concerned because that was family and he didn't want that for his family. He wanted his family to be harmonious. And we see that today, that change needs to occur when things go wrong, when there's harmony broken. I mean, just a quick look at the Adelaide Football Club at the moment. We'll see that there is great disharmony in the club, that within the players, within all the ranks there, I tell you what, I don't envy the new coach when he goes in there because one of his first jobs will be is to bring harmony back to the club so they can work together as a team. One of the areas that I'm concerned about is SA Health. And what concerns me is when I hear that there's a culture of bullying that's happening within SA Health. I don't care how much money gets thrown at the SA Health to fix the problems. Nothing's going to fix it until the culture is fixed properly, that there's harmony, that there's things working properly in there. We can see occasionally there's harmony lost within the church when people start to fight each other about various issues. And that's where our leadership needs to come and create 
and cause harmony to be regained. And then, of course, there's harmony that uh, is lost within the family when couples break up. And there's disharmony and the change that occurs there and the change for the children when they're having to see what happens with their parents. Now, there's loads of other reasons why change occurs, and I'm sure we could all talk about different ones. Just a couple that's not mentioned in the scripture but is important is when there's change in our health status, when our body changes on us, when things happen to our body. Some of us are just getting older, so breaking down slowly. When we develop a chronic disease which changes the way we look at things or whether we get a diagnosis of a cancer that can change our outlook and where we're going. And of course, then there's death. When this change occurs, when a death of a loved one comes about. Last Friday, I was um, visiting one of my clients and uh, her husband had died just the day before. She was only a young lady in her 48, 49, 50, something like that. Husband wasn't much older. And she, in talking with her, she said, Glenn, my whole life has changed. What does this mean? You know, we just talked about a few things. And this is what brings up the issues with change. What, is, what does it mean? The first issue is the issue, when change comes along, is the fear of the unknown, of not knowing what's going to happen because of change. And this was her concern. She said, I don't know what life's going to be like. I don't know what's going to happen. So it is the fear of change when we get told our job's gone. It's the fear of change when the systems that we're used to change on us. And there's various things that happen. There's a cost sometimes to change. The cost is a financial one or a change of lifestyle. Things the way, we, the way we used to know and do things have all changed. There's a loss of power and a loss of influence. Sometimes when a system's changed in a church and a new pastor comes along and things change, some people can feel, oh, I've lost my power, I've lost my influence. I've heard people who have been on leadership positions within a church who've come stepped down from being in a leadership position said the one thing they found the hardest was they no longer had influence on the pastor. And things just happened around them. Things change. There's a loss of relationships when things change. If you've lost your job, if you move to somewhere else, if you separate, there's a loss of relationship. And it might not be a, a, you losing relationship because it, the relationship was bad. It's just the fact that you've gone in two different directions. And you lose those friendships. You lose those relationships. And then sometimes when change occurs, one of the issues is that it can bring up previous hurts. It can open up previous scars. You know, you start to think, oh, I'm going through this again. This is how I, this is how I felt last time. And it starts to bring up those insecurities starts to bring up those fears, starts to bring up those negative attitudes that happens within you. So, what are we supposed to do? I've talked about all these negative things. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to handle all this sort of stuff? And this is where we look at the anchor points. And in Abram's life, I see four anchor points in his life that helped him with change. And these four anchor points can help us 
in our change as well. Firstly, he was a man that honoured and worshipped God. In verse 3 we read, From the Negev he went to a place, to the place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. So this wasn't something new he was doing, it was been always through his life. And where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then the last verse, So Abram went to live near the great trees of Murrah at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Abram was a man who worshipped and honoured God. And that's the way he lived his life. And that's the way we should be living our lives too. We should be people that honour and worship God, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout our whole life, throughout our whole days. We should be worshipping and honouring God, living a life that is honouring to him. I was listening to a uh, preacher some, it must be nearly 30 years ago, and um, he, he was talking about worshipping God, and, and he was talking about a conversation he had with God and said, how can I be thankful to you? You know, what, what does it mean you say be thankful? And all he said was, uh, he, what he repeated was, God said to him, whenever you see me during the day, just acknowledge that I'm there. And he sort of said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, every time you look at a sunset, a sunrise, acknowledge that I'm the one who created it for you. Just say, thank you, God. When you see a beautiful bunch of flowers, you see some animals doing something cute, you see a baby in your arms, be thankful to God. Be thankful to me. Just acknowledge God. And that's what we should be doing. We should be, as we're living our lives, just acknowledging him wherever we see him and worshipping him. It's also in our attitudes and the way we do things. What's that verse say? They will know we are Christians by our love. We should be loving people. But more than that, they should know that we are Christians by, our, by the way they can trust us, the way that we are truthful, the way we are honest, the way that we are compassionate. There are many ways that we can be honouring and worshipping God. It's just by the way we live our lives. Abram held on to the promise of God. He was obedient to the promise of God. In both chapter 12 and 13, God promised him something. He said, I am going to make you the father of generations, of a great nation. Now the interesting thing was, he never saw it. It wasn't until his grandson, Jacob, that things really started to develop when Jacob had 12 kids. Well, no, 14, was it? Anyway, he had a lot. We know there was 12 nations come from him. Anyway, um, so he never saw the promise of God, but he held on to it. He knew that God had something special for him. He believed and he trusted God. He trusted God. In all. Now, he did falter. In a couple of chapters later on, you'll read how um, his wife led him astray. Um, but he did trust God, and uh, he, he did do things to honour God. He, one of the other anchor points was he tried to restore harmony. He knew that there was an issue with his family. He put something in place because he wanted to restore harmony. And that's what we should be doing too, restoring harmony. We should be people that are people of peace and try to restore harmony. Be people of truth, 
because truth is what will restore harmony in the end. And then ultimately, it was his relationship with God overall. I am just amazed when I look at Abram's relationship with God. You know, Abram, all he had, knowledge of God, was the previous 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, all he knew about was Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, the sons of of, um, Adam. He knew about Noah. He knew about the Tower of Babel. But that's all. That's the, he would just been living in the, those stories about honouring God and worshipping God from those stories. Our relationship with God is so much greater than that in the sense that we have greater information about God and from God. We have 66 books of the Bible. He had 11 chapters. We have generations and generations of stories and examples of how our relationship can be with God. We have books, we have the internet, we have a whole range of things. We have sermons and everything that can talk to us about our relationship with God and how important and what a key part of that is. So when it comes times to change, when things happen in our lives, these are the anchor points we can hold on to if we're living a life that is honouring to God, holding on to the promises of God and trusting him, being involved in restoring relationships and improving our relationship with God, then when change comes upon us, we can get through it because we know God is with us. But there's one more thing. Sometimes we are called to be an agent of change. Not only will change come upon us, but sometimes we may be the ones that need to cause that change. Now, we might not be able to change all the culture of Australia, There's been a few people that have done it, and we read about those people occasionally. But we are are called to change the culture where we are. And these are what I would call subcultures. Culture, what's the culture like of your place of employment? What's the culture like in your social gatherings? What's the culture like in your church, in your small group? What's the culture like in your family? What's the culture like in your... um, Retirement village. What's the culture like in your playgroups and things like that? We can have an effect on those areas. Some of those, sometimes those cultures in those areas are, are great and so we can build them up. Other times those cultures can be toxic. And as Christians, we can have an impact on those cultures. We can have an impact. And if we listen to God... I'm sure he will be talking to us and saying, I need you to be my people in those places so that we can change this culture together and make it a place that, that is a good place to work in, that things can happen. And how do we do that? We honour and worship God. We hold firm to the promise that God has given us. If God says to you, I want you to change these areas and this is what will happen, hold on to the promise. Like Abram, you might never see the change, but the change will occur if you're obedient and go forth and do those things. Trust in God. Hopefully restore the harmony that's happening and continue in your relationship with God. Keep it good, keep it open, and keep it growing. In conclusion, I'd just like to finish with the, hymns, with the, with the words of a hymn that talks about what it means for us to be obedient 
what it talks to be having a relationship with God, what talks about having trust in him. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we will walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no matter what change comes, we can be confident in the fact that you are with us and that if we're strong with you, we can get through it. We thank you that we can be people who can change our cultures around us because you called us to do that. So, Father, we thank you. We give you praise and we give you honour. In Jesus' name, amen.